Good evening. You've reached the Neptune Project. For all your new listeners, I'm your host, Stan Peck. Coming to you from a base far off. Maybe I'm on Neptune. Maybe I'm not. We're about to begin. The music will continue for a second. And then I will be here momentarily. Okay, folks, folks, I hope you're having a great Labor Day weekend. A uh, wonderful Labor Day weekend. I I did touch on some things a couple of weeks ago. I want to begin my podcast by uh, saying I was a guest on Motivation Mondays with Sharon a couple of weeks ago. And some of the things we talked about, I want to bring out in a podcast today. Uh, as many of you know, I am a therapist. I'm an associate licensed counselor in the state of Alabama. I also am a Christian, uh, but I began encountering the issue of mental illness in the church way before I was ever a therapist. As a matter of fact, I wrote a research paper on religion and mental illness in my spare time at one point in the mid-90s. Can you imagine that? I, I guess I was bored out of my wits, but I was interested in the topic at the time. wasn't in school and wrote a research paper on mental, on religion and mental illness. Um, anyway, I guess really, um, I never took notice of, of anyone really that had a mental health issue until my late teens. But I thought back then, you know, I, I thought it was possible that some religions, faiths, whatever you want to call them, could have detrimental effects on the mind. Perhaps there was unhealthy religion or unhealthy Christianity or you know, and and I heard this statistic once. Uh, this was back in um, uh, early '90s, uh, from a recognized preacher in the Churches of Christ. Actually, he said this. He said it has been estimated that 93% of people in mental institutions are religious. Now, I don't know where where he got his empirical data, and I I, I know he did the research himself, and. But when I heard this in 19, it was in 1991, I was, well, I was startled for one. But two, I, I guess I began questioning the faith I was a part of as well. So I started thinking, really, is the church promoting good mental health? And if not, what are the signs that a church is promoting mentally unhealthy Christians? I want to address three different churches here today and possibly and possibly promote the mentally uh, or talk about the mentally unwell Christian. And really, even if you are not many, mentally ill and have a diagnosis, then you can still be mentally unwell because of these three types of churches. I'm going to, I'm going to be talking about one, the legalistic church, two, the emotional church. And three, the works-oriented church. So that's what I'm going to be mentioning today is these three types of churches. So let's start with the first type of church, the legalistic church. 
Now it says this in Hebrews 13, starting with verse 9. It says, Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for the hearts or for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. So, what are strange teachings and ceremonial foods? Really, the scripture is basically addressing legalism. Legalism, folks, will never create a healthy heart or mind. You know, in therapy sessions at times, we address, we address what's called polarized or black and white thinking with our clients. That is, people start thinking that things uh, uh, are, are polar, polar opposites, for example, such as, I either have to be perfect or else I'm an utter failure. Two extremes, really, right? Have you ever met a Christian who feels they need to be perfect? Now, I'll tell you, folks, I, I've been around Christians infected by mental illness because the church fed them the doctrine of perfection. And this perfection starts really with the little legalisms in the church and usually builds. For example, the church starts adding rules and regulations that have nothing to do with the grace and truth of the cross of Christ. Now let's talk about the law for a second. I want to say this as well. I heard it from a preacher of the gospel rather than uh, a preacher of guilt and shame. As a matter of fact, this preacher was placed you know, himself. This preacher was in seven mental hospitals before God called him to be a preacher. With and with his stating that you know God had had to show him how grace could and did heal his mind from his law-oriented life that ended him up with mental illness and being institutionalized. He had this to say. He said, one, he said, the mind cannot handle the laws of God. He also said, now don't quote me on this, that I said this, but he did say this, and please don't quote me on this, but he said, I would rather give you a license to sin rather than subject you to the guilt and unhealthiness that comes from the law. Now, probably what he's meaning by that is, you know, he realized that he was faced with, with many, many years of being institutionalized had he not figured out himself what was going on in his life and the guilt that was that was being subjected to him by the law. So he made that statement. Now, our law is good. Yes, the Bible said uphold the law. But I think what this preacher was saying was he's referring to a mind that doesn't understand the grace of God, but only the law itself. Which I will say, there are many people still unable to comprehend the grace of God. As a side note here, um, I was in a church in the early 90s that was growing and thriving because we were learning about the grace of the Lord. It was the Church of Christ, and in our city, it was our church, actually. Um... And this was just something that happened to us I wanted to bring out. Um, 
another member uh, from a different denomination, from a different church in our particular faith, came into our church one day, and, and sort of like what Paul talks about when people come to spy on your freedoms, because we've been learning and growing and learning about the grace of God in our church and practicing the grace of God. Well, he confronts the elders one day, calls them to a meeting, and began arguing with this comment, what is all this talk about grace? We don't need grace in the church like you're preaching. That's a scary intervention, by the way. So how do you know your church is a legalistic church? Or how do you know if you're a legalistic person? Well, for one, perhaps, let's, let's discuss this. For one, you perhaps believe you can, maybe you can never do enough for God. Now, that's a big one. You might say things like, I should pray more often, or I should read my Bible more often. I should evangelize more often. I should be out there making disciples more often. I'll say something about the last one. The last one nearly destroyed my life, to be honest with you. As I was into making disciples at one point in my life, and I stopped for a period of about three or four months, then someone or perhaps a group of people began making me feel guilt all over again as they were doing and evangelizing and, and you know and I wasn't doing a single thing so guilt set in. I can remember feeling this overwhelming oppression such as I had left God or I had abandoned Christ. So I did what any ordinary person would do. I I picked up my bootstraps and said, I will go out and evangelize now. Actually it was an unhealthy compulsion in me desiring to relieve myself of the guilt i'll tell you my mind started swirling and i started feeling unhealthy feelings in my body as if something was wrong i had from i also had from what i can best figure possibly even a panic attack after that needless to say i didn't normalize until god slowed me down himself to say basically i needed to be in the rest of the lord rather than the disciple-making industry. And I use that word flippantly, but... Read Hebrews. It does say it, there are times we need to enter into God's rest and cease from our labors. You see, that's what I had been doing until I started regretting the works I had done beforehand and still, and until I, I started having this underlying guilt and that's where the cross comes in folks the cross is not always about the commitment to die the death that Christ died like the girl in the mental hospital believed either what it what it is is understanding the very nature of God and his love grace and mercy so what else could constitute legalism and really, can legalism affect the mental health of an individual? Now, this is what I found researching the Church of Latter-day Saints, for instance. And I'm not picking on the Latter-day Saints, but this is something I found about them. This is a, um, a reading from uh, a piece. It says, using structural equation modeling and a sample of 635 Latter-day Saint University students, this study examined the relationships of grace and legalism with measures of depression 
anxiety, perfectionism, scrupulosity, and shame. The data supported our hypotheses that experiencing grace would have a direct positive relationship to mental health. And that an individual's legalistic beliefs may be related to their mental health because of the way these beliefs influence their ability to experience grace. Legalistic beliefs were related to lower scores on measures of grace and lower scores on measures of grace correlated with lower scores on measures of mental health. It also appears that in some instances, legalistic beliefs have a direct association with lower scores on measures of mental health. Now, there was some other research about religion and mental health that revealed this. I discovered this when I was researching. This is another piece I read. It said, research has shown legalism to be related to increased perfectionism, scrupulosity, anxiety, depression, and shame, feelings of self-loathing and worthlessness. Now, like I mentioned about polarized black and white thinking, we as counselors teach another kind of unhealthy thinking style called having shoulds and musts. In other words, if someone is also thinking that, well, they should be doing this or must be doing this or that, then that too can promote or exacerbate mental illness. So what I'm saying is, is, is legalism affects mental health. Not only that, but legalism can, how about this one, oppress an individual. In other words, stay too long in a church where you're forbidden basically anything that limits your freedom in Christ, then you would feel the burden of oppression. For example, and I've got a bunch of these guys, folks, this is... Being told no to dances, swimming, wearing pants, playing certain kinds of music or music in general, praying only with certain types of people, taking the Lord's Supper on, only on certain days, dating only women in your faith, restricting baptisms to only certain committed people, denying salvation to baptized individuals who don't have the same doctrines of baptism, fellowshipping with your own your only your denomination, being told you have to have a quota for conversions, forbidding emotion and worship. Now, these type of things can oppress someone's faith. And I heard of this one just recently. All right, this is a, a weird one, but it's a, this is what I heard. Forbidding singing if you did not know the correct note or possibly the tune to the song. At least that's what I was told about the preacher who said this was something similar to that. And you know what? I even heard once of this, a non-handshaking church that forbade, forbade uh, church hugging. They for, they, they've absolutely forbade church hugging except for weddings and funerals. In other words, they forbade people from hugging one another in the assembly, except they did allow it for weddings and funerals. And I want to elaborate here, and that one sounds sort of familiar, if... You know what I mean? If you're a member of the Churches of Christ. Now, these are just some of the some of the examples from the faith I grew up with. Now, I was told once, though, in a charismatic church that I needed to do things decently and in order. Now, I think they stole that from the Churches of Christ. But that's something I heard in a charismatic church one time. Okay, we're now at the 
we just finished with the type of church, the first type of church. We're at the, the second type, number two. Number two is the emotional church. This also can produce mental instability. Now, um, we don't see this as much in churches of Christ because in our churches, people don't express emotions as much as, say, in the charismatic or Pentecostal faith. My particular church does allow the raising of hands and clapping. Now, I, I want to say this first off, that there is nothing wrong with emotion in the church or having emotions. All of us have emotions, right? But here's the danger I've seen. It seems that it is possible that only the really emotional, or I'll use the word excited, or maybe the words full of the spirit, are respected in some circles, and maybe indirectly at times. Now I know what you're saying. It is a good thing to be full of the spirit. And overflowing with joy is part of being a Christian. I'm not saying it's wrong to be full of the Spirit. But if all we seek in the faith is the Spirit of joy, then are we missing the boat? I, I've seen and experienced that for people who come to expect that they should be joyful on all occasions, and people who get up in the morning and expect an outpouring of the Spirit on them each day, or maybe they feel spiritually only only spiritually well when the spirit is perhaps quote on them and not off of them. Perhaps we've missed some of what Christ came to give as well. You know, many people have learned through long suffering and perseverance the joy of the Lord, rather than experience the spirit of intense joy every day. And I want to repeat that. Because I didn't say that as well as I should. You know, many people have learned through long suffering and perseverance the joy of the Lord. Rather than say somebody that thinks they need to be excited or, or um, extremely happy all the time. And I'm not knocking joy and being spirit filled. It's just that joy is really only one of the fruits of the spirit. And what I've seen as well is that churches coming together, hoping, you know, I see churches come together, hoping to have some ecstatic experience or some outpouring of the Spirit on the congregation, this resulting in people expressing their emotions. Maybe they're yelling, jumping, and I know they're happy, but here's my take on that. Do you have those experiences in your daily life rather than just in the assembly? Because, you see, it's in our daily life where the disciples I mentioned earlier are going to see your life and want to be a Christian. And finally here, let me say this, that if one is too emotional, then he or she, and this is probably isolated, but if, one, if somebody is just way too emotional all the time, then they could lose all objectivity in this resulting in mental instability. All right, I promise you number three, we're at number three now. The works-oriented church, another type of church that promotes mental unwellness. Please, churches, if you're out there, people don't need quotas and people don't need to be coerced into good works. If it's not in their hearts, then there's probably no benefit that I can see at least. 
If the Lord convicts you to do good works, then fine, that's from the Holy Spirit. But if man is condemning you for not meeting up to someone's standard, then that is something altogether different. I want to mention now the story of Mary and Martha. Luke 10 says this, starting with verse 38, As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home down. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. All right, so we have two persons here, one whom supposedly was doing the right things right. I mean, Martha was working diligently for the Lord and really for the Lord, to be completely honest with you. And I'll come to Mary in just a second. Have you ever met anyone who was busy being the Lord's worker, that somehow the more important things were missing from their life, their private world was neglected, perhaps. Now, as far as mental health goes, I can tell you firsthand, in my late teens and early 20s, I was very compelled by something, at least, to do the work of Christ. Nothing wrong with a healthy outlook on what someone can do for the kingdom. And there is nothing wrong with works. But if your compulsion to do something works in my case, gets you to the point where you're stressed, you're repressed perhaps or oppressed with a mentality that basically you just, quote, can't stop doing what you're doing, then mental instability can set in. I remember one particular evening when I was 22, I believe. Finally, I remember telling the Lord, this needs to stop, meaning I just can't keep going with the way things are now. You see, problems occur, I guess. I guess the problems occur. And, and what I'm saying here, not with the works themselves. Please do good works. But the problems occur when your works become an obsession to the point where you no longer think in reasonable terms. Say, for example, you give up the gifts God gave you because you think God's plan for you involves a full-time ministry when you yourself, and I'm thinking myself here, were gifted and graced by God for other reasons. You know, you know, I've seen this happen in young converts. They have some special gift before conversion, but after conversion they believe God wants them to be a minister full-time, and then are led to believe that God does not even want them to work for a living. And some get to the point that they even... They can't even hold down a full-time job. So back to Mary and Martha. Martha was compelled, and perhaps unhealthily, but Mary did what Jesus wants out of all of us. What is that? To just sit at his feet and let him administer to us and listen. All right, so I've given you three different types of churches which can promote mental illness well I want to hear your responses
can email me at stanpeck at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. That's all I got today, folks. Until next time, live faithfully, hope abundantly, give grace to all men, and please be looking up. <laughs>